Woohoo! The Golden Stallion is here for you uh, for a little Star Trek update, Patreon only. And um, this is going to be the, well, we'll see exactly how this works over the next few months because Discovery Season 1 is now over and the second season, it's been confirmed, will start filming in April, uh, this coming April 2018. And the show probably won't be ready until beginning of 2019, I would assume, something along those lines. Uh, So that's, you know, because of that, how much Star Trek news is there really to talk about? You know, yeah, there's new novels coming out, stuff like this. Um, But we'll we'll see what I can make happen. Um, I've actually I've already talked to, uh, of course, Stephanie and Ellen. Both of them are totally down with doing more Star Trek stuff. Uh, In fact, later on, I may talk about it more, but I did get confirmation that uh, Stephanie's totally on board with it. Actually, she voted for it. Um, I I did the... Okay, so I ran a vote for, you know, what is the next piece of erotic audio theater that everybody wants? Because you're going to get the holiday special that was supposed to come out, you know, a couple months ago. Uh, But, you know, we'll we'll have it in 2018. And then I want to do another erotic audio theater for 2018 as well. And I said, it's like, do you want another Sovereign Universe one? And I talked about all this in recent episodes all over the place. Do you want a, a Star Wars erotic audio theater or do you want a Star Trek erotic audio theater? And the Star Trek erotic audio theater won across the board. Um, I told Ellen about it and she, she was just back. At, this is at the hotel room this weekend. She was just ecstatic. She's like, yes. I mean, like she literally like raises her fists and thought it was so cool. And so she's totally on board with doing that as well. So Stephanie and Ellen uh, will both be a part of that. And we'll figure, well, I'll talk more about that maybe later if we have time, um, because I've actually, I already have like half the script done. So <laughs> Because I had a little a little extra time and I felt so inspired, um, you know, to to write it. And uh, maybe I'll talk about what's going to be coming with that because it doesn't need to be a total surprise. Um, I'm actually I'm really excited for this personally. So anyway, we we might talk about that more later. So, okay, Uh, (laughs) but yes, so Stephanie and Ellen are totally down for doing more Star Trek uh, like Star Trek Patreon content where we talk about Star Trek and whatever. And like I said, I wanted to do a top eight for D Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise. It's not going to make sense to do one for Discovery, but we'll talk about that more when we talk about the when we talk about the episodes of Star Trek Discovery in this uh, in this Star Trek update. But anyway, I would love to have you know Ellen and Stephanie talk about uh, their favorite episodes of D Space Nine and Voyager and maybe Enterprise and all that. Uh, so, but we'll we'll. You know, we'll save that for the future and maybe we could do like one of those a month or something like that. And, you know, we could we can figure all that out. So anyway, in February's uh, Star Trek update, we've got a few things that we're going to cover. Uh, We're going to cover Discovery, the last few episodes and really the first season overall. Uh, We'll cover that. And then we are going to talk about the latest novel that just came out, I think, on the 6th, on February 6th. I've already read it. uh, And uh, Drastic Measures is what it's called. And we're going to break down that because it actually it is pretty well to quote Spock it is fascinating um, and we will also we'll probably get into Mirror Broken even though because Mirror Broken did end I didn't realize it ended with issue five um, even though there was Luke Crate had a special issue that talked about that was like about data it was kind of data centric for for the Mirror Universe uh, and I was going to wait for that but I don't think that the the graphic novel version of that or the trade paperback version of that the collected edition which will have that issue with data it's not coming out till May so we might as well talk about it now and um, you know maybe when we wrap stuff up again at some point you know we do a Star Trek update with the latest news and and you know what's happening in comics and everything I could talk about the the data centric issue uh, but Anyway, that's what we've got to uh, to get into. Why don't we break right into because it's going to matter like there's a reason. So I mentioned the novel Drastic Measures that just came out and it came out, you know, like right after the the last episode, the season finale for Discovery happened. And there's a pretty good reason why um, I think that that happened, or at least there's a reason that it waited until the later episodes of Discovery to, uh, you know, to really to get released. So we'll talk about that after we talk about the TV episodes of of Discovery. But, you know, here it is, folks. Spoiler alerts. Ahoy. I mean, they're just (laughs) you're going to be inundated with them. So if you don't want to get spoiled about what happens in that novel, I I don't think I don't think there's anything in it that's like a terrible spoiler. It's more of like hinting at things and things that I think already people were guessing and wondering about. Okay, Uh, 
so you know don't worry about that and if you haven't watched the entire first season of discovery i mean what are you waiting for in fact quite frankly like if you did wait until the first season was over you're in for a treat because let's just start talking about it let's start talking about season one of discovery in the last few episodes this is star trek discovery okay is really something that like this is meant to be binge watched cbs I understand why they did what they did. I understand why that you know they needed to test out their monthly numbers and everything. Which, by the way, they they came out with their quarterly reports, so their monthly numbers of uh, for CBS All Access and with CBS All Access and Showtime, their their streaming service of Showtime, um, which you know they control that too. They have a total of five million subscribers, which their goal for 2020 was eight million. And so they're very happy. They they apparently are doing, uh, you know, excellent money. Um, there was concerns. Of course, Netflix helped fund Star Trek Discovery because Netflix was involved in its international distribution. Um, but now CBS All Access will be going. I think there's like four or five other countries. It's going to be going to Canada, among others. Um, anyway, CBS All Access would appear to be a success. So that's important to bring up. Now, part of the reason that it's a success, I'm sure, is because people were holding on to it to watch you know, Star Trek Discovery every every time that or, you know, every Sunday that it would come out uh, and maybe watch After Trek, which After Trek was been has been kind of interesting. I will be I'll, I'll say this about After Trek, which is the show that comes after where they interview the guests and everything. I would be surprised if this comes back for a second season or at least if it comes back, I think it might be different. They might not have Matt Miro hosting it. I, I could picture it being very different. I don't, I don't know. They changed like when the show came back after Trek ended up going from originally it was a live show that they were doing right after the show aired. Then it became a pre-taped show. And so they're already really like tweaking how that, you know, how that after show works out. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they got rid of it altogether. I also wouldn't be surprised if they just, you know, radically changed it come 2019 when season two starts up. Um, But here's the thing is that Star Trek Discovery this this really is a show meant to be watched. It's a binge watch on a weekend. That is really the way that I mean, because there's no other than what is it? Magic to make the sanest man go mad or something. I think that was the name of the episode where Harry Mudd with the time traveling and all that. Other than that episode, these episodes really all I mean, none of them like stand alone. Like they really don't make sense standing alone. They are part of a of a very big arc, a very big story. Well, you know, 15 episode or whatever uh, story arc. And, uh, you know, I don't I don't necessarily mind that. Like, I mean, I you know, my favorite show of all time, even that I love more than Star Trek is Babylon 5. And, you know, that's a five year story arc. Right. Even though that that show has like plenty of singular moments and great moments that you could kind of watch standalone, especially after you've watched the show. I I can't really picture i mean like there's episodes that are good and you want to see what happens but it's only because you're you know just like salivating over what's going to happen next i could never imagine out of the first season of discovery going back and just wanting to watch singular episodes like like there's no that holds no appeal you have to watch the entire first season for anything to make any fucking sense um and to talk about the last few episodes i i will get i will talk about that because i mean and look, what I'm saying here, I really enjoyed this. In fact, there's parts of the show I fucking love. Like, I mean, I love some of my favorite Star Trek moments, honestly, of all time. Okay. Um, in fact, maybe the one episode that I could watch sort of over and over again would maybe be the season finale, which we will, uh, you know, we will talk about that here in, in a minute. But I get it. I mean, this isn't, you know, Star Trek usually, except for like, a, you know, certain story arcs within Deep Space Nine, Star Trek really doesn't function normally this way where, you know, you have to like watch an entire string of episodes to get the story and to understand what's going on. Usually a lot of the episodes are very much self-contained. Um, but again, I, I really don't have an issue with that. I just I think that. All right. So a few things here. I th- Again, I think CBS hurt the show by forcing people to have to watch have to tune in every sunday again i get why they did it i just don't agree with them because that's part of the complaints is people are watching this going what the fuck is going on like i you know i don't get it blah 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 as to where i think it could be far more it'd be a far more cohesive and enjoyable show if you get to watch it all at once now here's another thing is that so much happens seemingly in each episode 
and it all happened so quickly. This, the flaws this show has, here's the first flaw that this show has, is pacing. Like, it is way too fast-paced. There is way too much going on, way too quickly. You don't even have the chance to breathe, and that's not good. In this case, sometimes that's a good thing if you're watching, I don't know, some kind of action movie or something. That is not good for what's going on here because there's so much, there's so many tantalizing things going on. There's so much more you want to see of what's going on. Everything is just happening way, way too fast. Not that what's happening is bad or that it doesn't make sense or that it has a, or that there's a problem or that it sucks. I just, I don't think so. I think it's all great, but it's just happening way too fucking fast. The Terran Empire story arc that we get in the second half of of the first season that could have been an entire season on its own on its own and maybe it should have been it, i mean it's just it is ridiculously fucking fast paced and i i'm going to say the second problem that this show has is that it it has a bit of an identity crisis and what i mean by that is not that what happens doesn't make sense but that in the first half especially like the first 3 to 4 episodes of discovery there are plot lines laid out or there are potential plot lines. There are, you know, little, little hints and things going on that just, they, they just completely drop that they just don't care about. And they, they, they throw away and they don't do anything with it. And it's very weird. Like it really feels like Brian Fuller wrote like two, three episodes, whatever. And then, you know, the rest of the creative team, which I don't think is as good as Brian Fuller, just took over and, you know, maybe they had some abstracts from Brian Fuller and they tried to make it all happen. Um, the one thing, and here's the big spoiler alert, because, you know, if you didn't see the season finale, like, you know, a huge thing happens at the end. When the Enterprise shows up, <laughs> the good old NCC-1701 under Captain Pike, um, you, you know, when that shows up, they've already they've made it clear that that was a new like idea. That was not something that was part of the original plot or, you know, like path uh, of plot lines for, um, you know, for discovery. So certainly, it, I mean, it, just with that statement alone, you're aware that, yes, it's a fact. There's things that Brian Fuller came up with. There's things that everybody else, you know, kind of picked up the ball and ran with. Okay, and that so so there's kind of two Star Trek discoveries here. Like we get no explanation. They made such a big deal about all the different um like like labs and experimental experimentation areas and everything that are on board the Discovery, you know, and they talk about like there's the Starfleet officers with black badges, where the fuck are they? Uh, I mean, the, like there's just a lot of weird shit that you get laid out in like the first three to four episodes and then just seem to get totally forgotten about uh, Stamets being, you know, like like hippie Stamets where, you know, he's saying like all this. Yeah, free love, man. You know, all that kind of stuff just goes away. And that's kind of a shame because I thought that that was sort of fun because it played off of his usual hard edge. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's stuff that they set up that they just they didn't keep going with. So and really, those are the only two major problems I have with the show is that it's way too fast-paced, has a major pacing problem, does not take enough time to explore what's going on. Um, and maybe that has to do with budget. CBS came out when they were reporting the success of CBS All Access. They said that this was an incredibly expensive show to do. Um, and you can kind of tell. Like, there's episodes where it seems like they ran out of budget. Um, in fact, I still haven't seen the discovery to my satisfaction. You know, like, like on, on in the show... Uh, which is kind of amazing because you think with CGI, you should be able to see the starship a whole fucking hell of a lot, but you never get the chance, you know, like not, not really. I don't think you get to see it enough. Like you see the, you see Voyager, you saw the defiant even, or the enterprise D or whatever. I mean, you saw those ships way more than you ever see the discovery. And I think that that's fucking odd, you know, and, and, and maybe it was down to budgetary constraints. I I don't know. Um, in fact, I kind of hoped it would have arrived today though I didn't expect it. Um, just a quick side side note here. So from Eagle Moss, uh, a few months ago when they announced their Star Trek Discovery um, line of ships that they were going to put out, you know, they, they put out these six, anywhere between six inch to like 11 inch ships that they that they offer. I have a few of them. Um, I may I don't know if I talked about it in the last Star Trek update. But I, I got the, uh, the Star Trek Phase 2 version of the Enterprise, which is pretty interesting. Anyway, when, that, when they were first announced for pre-order, um, I instantaneously ordered uh, the Discovery. And I didn't expect it 
and if, I thought it was funny, but they said that the shipping date was April 1st. I'm like, uh, that's kind of weird. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, don't say April 1st because that, that, that usually isn't good. Um, but anyway, I got just a couple days ago, I got a email from Eagle Moss and they said that the discovery was shipping and I was like, oh, fantastic. OK, so I was hoping it would be here today and I could review it and talk about it and maybe share some pictures of it. Uh, but it didn't arrive today. Maybe it'll arrive tomorrow. But I want to get the Star Trek update done and out there because I have tons of other content that I, I need to get out to you. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, when, once I get that little model, maybe then I can study it and explore it more. I mean, they even said like Eagle Moss even said on their website, um, you know, like, like the final look of the ship, because <laughs> they have pictures of the, of the molds that they were putting out there, but they said the final look of this may be different than what you see in the pictures. And, and like, man, somebody has got to tell that story about the production of the show because, I mean, who knows? Like, like somebody might be really clever and do shot by shot comparisons of discovery. I wouldn't be surprised if we found out that in like the first few episodes that there are drastic differences from the discovery we see then to the ones that, that, you know, to the later episodes, because some of the later episodes, they, you know, CBS ordered more episodes for the season uh, very late in the game and they had to do reshoots and all this stuff. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if shots of the discovery were may have been changed i i don't know it it's the production of the show was obviously a mess but what they ended up with was really intriguing stuff really cool stuff like i said overall i really enjoyed season one um probably one of the best first seasons of any star trek show any star trek show next to perhaps you know the original series or something um but again just way too fast-paced you know i know i keep saying it but i can't emphasize that enough that's where they fucked up the stuff went too quick uh because we get this entire terran empire story arc and at you know when we get to the season finale they end the they end the the klingon war you know they end the war with the klingons and it's like whoa it's all over like we didn't even really see it go on in fact frankly it's hard to even remember everything that happened in the past like five episodes because it was so fast-paced but anyway, let's talk about the Terran Empire story arc a bit. Um, I, I really like this. I mean, I, I love the mirror universe like I love it. Uh, and Empress or well, actually, she goes by Emperor Emperor Philippa Giorgio was that was so hot, so sexy. Especially in the last episode where because, you know, she ends up I, I don't need you. You've watched it. I don't need to tell you the story. OK, she ends up, you know, being not kidnapped, but brought to the prime universe by Michael Burnham, you know, and by the discovery crew. And she ends up helping, you know, Starfleet try and win the war against the Klingons by pretty much, you know, copying wing commander three and how the Terran Confederation would destroy the, or, you know, put an end to the war with the Kilrathi. Uh, you know, they more or less drop a bomb in the middle of uh, Kronos. And so, and you better believe that's going to be some kind of plot line later, you know, some plot point later that there's a there's a bomb that could destroy the Klingon homeworld. Uh, you know, I don't know when that's going to be used, but I bet it I bet it will. Anyway, when they meet up with the Orions and everything and like Emperor Giorgio in the prime universe is like, oh, I knew this universe couldn't be all boring. And she ends up like, you know, having a threesome. That was so great. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> this is why I love the mirror universe. And, and I mean, that was that was really like that was hot. That was especially Michelle. Yo, please. I don't care how old she is. Oh, f fuck. Yes. <laughs> that, Stephanie and I were watching it. We're just like, whoa, <laughs> you know, I, that was awesome. Uh, and the other weird thing. Did anybody else notice uh, that the Klingons had two streams, you know, two, two two piss streams like maybe they have two dicks <laughs> that was kind of a new thing i mean they just kind of like go past that again it's that pacing <laughs> but wow um yeah so anyway um that that yeah the season finale you know really brought all that together but it, it was just another one where things were happening way too quick. But boy, that was that was hot. I, I really, really like that. There was a lot to like throughout the entire Terran Empire uh, little storyline. Um, of course, Lorca, you know, or, you know, mirror Lorca, who we find out is the Lorca that has been the captain of Discovery all this time and was wanting to get back to the Terran Empire to conquer it, blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's why he was into the mycelium drive and everything or the spore drive. Um 
I mean, he's dead. He's gone. Like, they, they make sure that he's gone. Uh, of course, now what everybody's asking is, well, wait a minute. So, but when somebody changes places between the Prime Universe and the Mirror Universe, the person from the Prime Universe ends up usually transfers to the other universe. And so where's Prime Lorca? Well, we'll we might talk about that later. You know, is Prime Lorca still alive? Uh, because Lorca, like... T- uh, Terran Lorca, you know, it shows up like about two years previous to season one of Discovery. Uh, so what would that be? Twenty two. Is that would that be like twenty two fifty seven? I think when when Mirror Lorca would 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 appear in the prime universe and kind of take things over. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about that more in, in, in a minute. So, yeah, I, I really I really liked what they had going on with with, you know, the, the Terran Empire story arc, um, the Klingon war, you know, ending and having effectively having Laurel, you know, having a woman in charge now of the Klingon Empire, all that stuff dynamite. I, I think all of that's really cool. Um, what they did with Voke or, uh, you know, Ash Tyler making him that he's probably going to end up being some kind of like ambassador to the Klingons or some shit, whatever. Uh, obviously. You know, when we find out that that Ash is actually a Klingon and it's this experimental process, certainly they're looking at Arvin Darvin from, you know, from Trouble with Tribbles and all that. So, you know, this show and this is another point to bring up the amount of the amount of like what what could be called canon connections or the amount of time they spend connecting to. Enterprise, like mentioning Captain Archer nonstop, uh, connecting to things that happened even in like the original series episode, The Cage, connecting to all these different things. I, I think that's great. Like I, I there's people who are complaining about it, saying that the show spends way too much time trying to connect to canon. No, I don't think that that's a waste of fucking time because and in fact, it's annoying that people complain about it, because what were people complaining about before the show even started? Wait a minute. How does this connect to the canon? Is this its own timeline? Blah, blah, blah. They had to do like they had to go over the top with connecting to canon. They had to just to try and prove people, even though it's visually distinct and different. You've got to show people, no, this exists within the Prime Universe. Yeah, we know it looks more advanced, blah, 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 but we got to be in that. Which leads to the big reveal or the, you know, the, the big surprise ending for the season finale where they are on their way to Vulcan, okay, um, and to, to get their new captain, whoever the fuck that is. Uh, in fact, watch it be, I don't know, Prime Lorca or something. But anyway, they're on their way to Vulcan and they get a distress signal. And, you know, there's like, oh, well, it's encrypted. We can't figure out who it is, but it is a Federation signature. And, of course, it starts to show up, you know, like on one of the screens on the bridge of the Discovery. You start to see NCC and then it's one seven. And as soon as it said one seven, I was like, oh, God, it's going to be the Enterprise. And, and, you know, which I was excited for, frankly. And then there it is. It appears. And, whoo, you know, you can't help but get excited. Classic music starts playing the whole thing, especially during the end credits. Uh, you know, classic original series Star Trek uh, music. I mean, that that was a pretty badass little moment right there. And they say, you know, Captain Pike's commanding, blah, blah, blah. And then the show ends. Um, now, the the you know, the Constitution class NCC 1701 does look very different. Right. And yeah. So so here's here's where I disagree with the production team of Discovery on this. I think you could have gotten away with it being the very smooth looking Constitution class that has been a part of the enhanced editions of the original series episodes that, that CBS ordered uh, a few years ago where they updated the effects and everything. I, I really think you could have gotten away with that. And especially because. The reason I think that that works is that like when you watch D Space Nine and you watch the episode was it Trials and Tribulations where they actually do see the Enterprise, um, it doesn't throw you off when you see it. Like I I don't think that there would have been that stark of a contrast between the two. Also, you know, just in a mirror darkly from Enterprise, you totally accepted that that's what you know the Constitution class Enterprise looked like, and it didn't throw you off compared to seeing the NX zero one for years. I don't think it would have been a problem if it stood next to the discovery because the discovery looks so fucking weird in the first place. In fact, we still haven't like I, like I've been saying this whole episode, we haven't really gotten that great look at the discovery. Um, so I, 
I don't understand their their way of thinking on this. I don't mind the way that it looks. I don't mind the visual refresh. I don't mind that it has the nacelles that look kind of like the NX-01. But that kind of proves my point is that you could have gotten away with it looking like the smooth, uh, you know, gray Constitution class that we're used to or that we're used to now anyway. Because if you're going to borrow design cues from the NX-01, we already had an episode where you could compare the, you know, the NX. Actually, yeah, because you had the Avenger, right? The NX-07 and you had the and you had the Enterprise, the, the, the ISS Enterprise, the NX-01 in, in a mirror darkly. And it looked fine. So I'm a little skeptical of why they felt they needed to do this. And in fact, it is, I will admit, it's a little worrisome. I mean, you can make the argument that this is just like a, you know, a design because Constitution classes have gone through design refreshes, right? Like you have what they call the subclass, which is the uh, Enterprise subclass of the Constitution class, which is what the Enterprise looks like after the motion picture. Yeah, I get it. You, I mean, you can make arguments that that it has gone through varying. I mean, and there's other things, too, like, you know, in the cage, I think it had like the little pointy uh, knobs on the nacelles and everything. Sure. And you could say that, well, eventually, you know, t- 10 years in, into the future, because season one of Discovery takes place 10 years before the first um, Kirk episode of the original series, you can say, well, by then, then it'll look like the smooth thing. Right. And that's fine. Like that. That argument is acceptable. But I am a little worried, a little worried that they are planning on remaking the original series. Or at least doing like maybe, uh, I don't know, a couple of years before, like where no man has gone before, which is the first episode with Kirk chronologically. And Kirk is already captain of the Enterprise and has been captain of the Enterprise at that point. I'm a little concerned that that's going to be happening um, as far as like, are we going to see Spock and all this stuff? Probably, you know, they, they've they've made some interesting comments about are they going to recast Spock and all this stuff? I don't know. It's fine if they do. They they can't do any worse than what they did. Was it James Frain? Whoever the fuck is is playing Sarek? I I still think that guy is terrible. Like he he is he's horrendous as Sarek. That's another bad part of the show. Is the guy they got to play Sarek is is not believable at all. Looks ridiculous. In fact, they, like his ears are massive. Like the Vulcan ears that they gave him are fucking huge. What is with that? What happened? Um. It's it's all it's very odd. They they have not done well with Sarek. That easily the weakest character going on. And I look, I don't want to be mean to the guy. You know, he's just doing a job, but oh, is it bad? It is fucking bad. You know, with with Sarek. And and I I've felt that way since episode one. I mean, I, I've been saying this the whole time, but it's still true. It hasn't gotten any better, and that's that's really unfortunate. Uh anyway. So, yeah, so we have the Enterprise. What's going to happen? Are they going to pick up with it in season two? I mean, we'll see. Now, the novelization, um, uh, or not, not, it wasn't Drastic Measures, Desperate Hours was the first novelization that came out back in September 2017. In that, you already have where, not, not the Discovery, but the Shenzhou, which was, uh, you know, Captain Georgiou's ship, Prime Georgiou, uh, you know, where, where she has a mission with the Enterprise and Burnham and Spock go on a mission and everything. And again, it, it's kind of weird with the comics and novels because those are they're called they're not called canon. They're calling them tie ins, which means they're kind of canon. I guess they are canon. They actually do matter. But I don't know. That's been they, they really need to clean up their message on that. But they've been using the word tie in quite a bit. Uh, and and I, I think it does matter because and I'll explain why when we start talking about drastic measures, because there's big shit that happens and or there's stuff that happens in that that they had to have released that on purpose to get you hyped up for future storylines, uh, you know, or yeah, yeah, storylines, you know, to come down to come into future seasons of Discovery. So I don't know how they're going to deal with that. The way that they talked about and and you can listen to past Star Trek updates. You can listen to the one actually for September um, if you want to hear my review of Desperate Hours, because what they did with number one from Pike's Enterprise, which is what we're experiencing at the end of uh, at the end of season one of Discovery here. I thought she was just a phenomenal character. I love what they did with the character. And I would love to see that get explored on television. You know, I I want to see I'm more excited to see her to see number one than I am to see uh, Spock or even Pike. I really am. Um, I'm I'm very excited for this. So, you know, but if we even get it, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see what the hell happens. Maybe that's not even like 
the real enterprise. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. So, but bottom line, overall, I thought season one was, was great. There, I mean, it was, it was very good. There are points of greatness, you know, especially in the, the season finale. But, um, again, too fast, way too fast. Season two, let's get a fuller season and slow it down, slow it way the fuck down because you had, I mean, and, and look, I understand when this kind of thing, maybe you feel like this needs to happen. Like I mentioned Babylon five earlier. So with Babylon five, J. Michael Straczynski had an actual five-year plan. He, when it came to season four, he, he, you know, every season he didn't know if he was going to get a next season. When it came to season four, at first he was told this is the end. And cause he didn't know that TNT would end up buying it out and that he'd get a season five. And so he had to finish up the Shadow War, and then he had to do the Earth Civil War in season four. He had to wrap up two wars inside of one season. And season four is great, but it's it's crazy fast paced. Now, J. Michael Straczynski is a far better writer than anybody involved with Star Trek Discovery, obviously. Um, And I don't necessarily mean that as an offense to anybody on Star Trek Discovery. But look, you're just not J. Michael Straczynski, you know, and you didn't have that moment of brilliance like Babylon 5 is. Um, but you know, he pulled it off with season four, but it was tough. And, and you do feel the rush, you know, like, like things happen too fast and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but season one of discovery, I mean, you know, granted Straczynski had what, 22 episodes or something for season four of Babylon five, you know, with this, you only had 14, 15 episodes and that, Ooh, boy, that's tough. Uh, so yeah, just again, happened way, way too fast. So, all right, um, let's let's get into let's talk about drastic measures by uh, by David Mack or, or no, this is by Dayton Ward. David Mack wrote Desperate Hours. Um, we do have another. There is going to be another discovery novel coming out in 2018, which I think is great because, again, we're not going to get season two until at least 2019. And we don't even know when then. Um, so if you can have stuff for discovery like we already have, there's going to be, um, you know, the Light of Kalis comic has issue four to come out. And that'll be wrapped up. We'll review that uh, in the future. Um, and then we have, um, then there's going to be that uh, Mirror Universe, you know, Discovery comic book miniseries that's going to come out. So there's Discovery stories happening. And again, they are tie-in, which means that they have bearing. They have weight. You know, it's not the big, I've talked about this many times. One of the biggest problems with Star Trek, extraneous Star Trek media, like comics and novels, was that by and large, minus the the comic book called Hive, um, they're, they're, you know, like all of it, it's just bullshit. You know, like it doesn't actually matter. And so, like, why bother reading it if it's not actually going to give you insight into uh, the characters? You know, uh, like what 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 the hell's the point? And, you know, and I, I agree. I mean, I still would read a lot of this stuff, but you just knew it was largely for fun, uh, except for when Simon and Schuster did their reboots. Then they were a little more serious. And like, I've really enjoyed the Enterprise novels, especially because you could kind of count them as, as like having weight and mattering, um, you know, be, especially because there was no other Star Trek movie there, especially at the time was it like Oh six when they did the major reboot of all the Star Trek, uh, novel series at the time we had no Star Trek movies and we had no Star Trek TV shows and they, you know, Paramount and CBS were saying, yeah, we're taking a break, you know, until the Abrams verse happened. But even that wouldn't have affected the Simon and Schuster novels. So, you know, you could get invested in them because that was the only Star Trek that was out there. So you took it, you know, and I've enjoyed, you know, like the Voyager series of the reboot. Um, and I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the hell out of the Enterprise novels and I still read those. But now, the like I say, this, the discovery novels and comics actually matter to the story. And I think Drastic Measures drives that point home. Uh, and we'll talk about it when we get towards uh, towards the end of it. But there's there's really is a lot to talk about here. So this is a prequel this takes place like 10 years before the battle of the binary stars okay so this is 10 years before the earliest moments of season one of um of discovery okay uh and it has to it is a prequel and an extrapolation upon a uh, an original series episode from season one called conscience of a king um, which has to do with uh kodos the executioner uh, who you know who is this this character it's actually I enjoy the episode Conscience of a King because 
a lot of the best Kirkisms and even the exploration of Kirk as a character, like the depth of Kirk, is totally played out in the episode Conscience of a King, which has to do with, again, the storyline is is that Kirk, as a boy, grew up on this planet, Tarsus Four. And on Tarsus Four, there was this tragedy that happened. They don't say much in the original series episode. The book Drastic Measures, which covers this tragedy where this guy, you know, this governor, Kodos, kills 4,000 people. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more in a second. Um, you know, the original series didn't really explain much as to why it happened, but it, it happened. Okay. And... Y- so, you know, but now Kodos, like he's he got away and he is, um, you know, now he's like this play actor and everything. And he's going around as a different, you know, he has a a, um, a different name. Uh, his name's Anton Caridian in it. And, uh, you know, it, it's what's interesting is, you know, I love the episode. The story itself is not the most engaging thing in Star Trek history. The only co- again, the cool thing about it is the exploration of Kirk as a character, especially the way he interacts with Caridians or, you know, Kodos. Right. I mean, same same guy with his daughter um, and like just some of the sexiest lines in Star Trek history happen in that episode. It, it's really worth a watch um, if you know, you can watch it before or after reading Drastic Measures if you want. But I totally recommend watching it again. Uh and and it, because there, there, again, there's parts of it that are just downright sexy. It it is it is a sexy episode of the original series for the original series anyway. It's not sexy like the last episode or you know the the season finale of Discovery, but it's sexy. I mean, you know, the whole thing where where uh, you know. Uh, uh, Caridian's daughter is saying it's like, oh, you know, calling Kirk a Caesar of the stars and all this stuff. And, and even uh, William Shatner's classic poetry in it, you know, uh, galaxies may disintegrate, you know, worlds of stars come and go or whatever. But a woman is always a woman. You know, how, however, he says that I, I love that line. <laughs> so conscious of the king, really cool. But there was really no reason to, you know, I, I'm surprised that they chose this story of Kirk, what happened to Kirk as a boy on Tarsus four with Kodos, the executioner and these, you know, the, the, the execution of like this 4,000 people on this colony, uh, that they made an entire novel out of out of it. And they decided to run with it. Um, so this is the story of what happened on Tarsus four and, uh, captain Giorgio, of course she's commander at the time. Commander Giorgio is in it. Uh, a Lieutenant commander, Gabriel Lorca, and it is the prime Lorca, uh, is in it. And they enter those two characters, Giorgio and Lorca interact with each other, um, which makes for some interesting play. But of course it's not the Lorca we experienced in Star Trek discovery in season one, because that Lorca is, you know, the Terran Lorca. Um, and I'll explain more about that more too in a second. So, um, what what you have is is there's this huge expansion again. None of this was in the original series episode Conscious of a King, or at least very little of it. Um, there's a speech that Kodos gives in the book Drastic Measures that you know you hear parts of that in Conscious of a King, but otherwise, like you know, there wasn't a whole lot of explanation of you know what what exactly happened on Tarsus for other than four thousand people were executed. Um, so this this builds out on all of that. Now, the interesting thing is that. The overall story here of what happens on Tarsus four is there's another planet, another colony, not Tarsus four, but another colony that something terrible happens there. The Federation has to relocate these refugees from this other colony humans and they they take them to Tarsus four. Uh, and that's where things get interesting. One could argue especially with like the mirror Lorca quotes, you know, make the, make the empire great again and all this kind of shit that happened in season one of discovery. One can argue that season one of discovery was very much playing off of the political climate of president Trump in the United States today. Well, I'll tell you drastic measures totally plays off of that fact because it's all about this colony complaining that they had to take in all of these refugees. Um, and, and I, I, you know, like the, you know, I think it's really playing off of like the Syrian crisis and, you know, things like this. You know, it's it's a commentary on that and how, you know, Kodos, what he eventually ends up having to do is there's not enough food. There's like this disease that starts wiping out the food on on Tarsus four and they play out Tarsus four as if it was a place where. Like the 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 
the colonials there, the, the people that are that are populating this colony, they're human, and they wanted to make a colony on Tarsus IV because they wanted to get back in touch with their humanity, which sort of is in in Conscience of a King, is in that episode where, you know, there's like Kodos and even even Kodos's daughter, you know, Caridian's daughter is saying, you know, Captain, are you human or are you a machine like your starship? You know, so it, it kind of plays off of that um, a bit. But anyway, there, this this planet is running out of food, and because of that, Kodos takes over as governor and says, "Okay, look, we got to wipe out like four thousand people, and part of it are are these refugees, uh, you know, from this other colony that get re- forcibly, more or less forcibly relocated by by Starfleet, um, you know, to to Tarsus for, and he has to kill them off so that everybody else can can survive." Okay. And there's tragedies that happen. Lorca loses a lover and all this different stuff, you know, and and uh, and it, it explores this this whole thing. Now, it's not it's admittedly not the most like interesting story. Um, it tries to be interesting, I think, by making political commentary, by being sort of an analogy to like, say, you know, Syrians or, you know, immigrants and every and immigration and all that in how, how, you know, the alt right feels about that and everything. And they play off a lot of the people in Tarsus Forest sort of being like the alt right in a way. And maybe Kodos is sort of a Trumpian character, you know, like they're really and they're I think they're a little too heavy handed in doing so. Um, but overall, what happens in the story, not the most interesting stuff. Um, there is a point. There's a couple cool things laid out, though. And this is where the discovery books have done a far better job in doing what I wanted actual what Star Wars. And yes, I said Star Wars and I mean Star Wars. What I want the Star Wars novels to do. I want the Star Wars novels to exp- to literally expand the universe and explain parts of the universe and give us story points or the factoids that have a greater bearing on what happens in the galaxy, okay, or in in the Star Wars universe, as it were. They never do that. In fact, the novels don't do it until, like, the, the Star Wars novels don't do it until, like, the last chapter. That's when they give you a nugget of info that has uh, some kind of weight for the greater Star Wars story, you know, that, that has bearing on the greater Star Wars uh, uh, saga, okay? The Star Trek novels, Star Trek Discovery novels anyway, have done a far better job of this where they are you're getting little nuggets here and there and talking about things that that are really interesting that have, you know, that that explain away a lot more parts of what happened, what has happened within the Star Trek universe. Okay, and Kirk is in this book. I mean, and you knew it like I think everybody knew once they knew that it was going to be about Tarsus Four, they knew that Kirk would would have to be in it. Of course, Kirk is a teenager in this and. What's really cool is, you know, like they say in Conscious of the King, Kirk is one of the people that actually saw Kodos and could identify him. And in so doing, like Kirk makes it his personal mission and also because a friend, a friend who gets murdered in Conscious of the King, you see that uh, his friend Thomas Landry or whatever, who's a scientist, you know, you get that backstory, which is, you know, I mean, that's kind of cool. It's amazing to get this much backstory about an episode that most people, I think, don't really care about, you know, and they don't appreciate it for what it actually delivers. Um, and, and I'll be the first one to say, if I was doing a ranking of greatest original series episodes, Conscious of a King would not be up there. I mean, it just, it just wouldn't, even though it does deliver very unique uh, uh, takes and goes to interesting depths more so than maybe any other episode of Kirk's character. Um, in fact, honestly, Conscious of the King, I think the whole thing that Kirk is a womanizer and that, you know, Kirk gets all the women and all that stuff. I think a lot of that, which isn't true, and there's there's honest feminist commentators who have done whole write ups about Kirk saying, no, he's not. He's not a womanizer. He's not this like that's bullshit. Uh, and I agree with him. But I think this is where a lot of that comes from, because of the, the way that he interacts with, uh, you know, Caridian, with Kodos slash Caridian's daughter. So anyway, um, Kirk is in this and he's a very young Kirk. And the way that they play him off is that he wants to, you know, like he knows who Kodos is and he's trying to collect pictures of Kodos, which is something that you end up with in Conscious of the King. And so he's really good at like Giorgio interacts with him. Captain Giorgio interacts with him and he's really good at hacking. Like he's able to break into computer systems and everything. And that's really cool that they make that the thing about Kirk. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they play off that he just has a lot of this natural ability. But what's really great about that is that that explains so much of what gets described described about Kirk in Star Trek Two, which is another major uh, Star Trek presentation that explores Kirk's past um, where, you know, we mentioned or where, you know, there's mention of uh, the Kobayashi Maru, where he was able to alter the conditions of the test. Right. He hacked 
the Kobayashi Maru program or test. Uh, now you understand that that's something he's known for a while. He's learned for a while. And maybe that he, he was uh, um, compelled, uh, you know, or, or just like naturally wanted to, you know, he was intrinsically motivated to get good with computers because he wanted to solve this case with Kodos on, on Tarsus for as, as a teenager. So it explains that it explains also why he would have thought of the prefix code to take down the shields on the Reliant and attack Khan in Star Trek two. Right. So this is good. This gives us backstory that, yeah, Kirk has actually always been pretty good with computers, you know, and, and that he has, and like George O even comments and says, wow, he's got way more skill than I do. And I'm no slouch. And I thought that that was, that was really awesome. That was, that was a very nice little touch uh, that they ran with. Um, another interesting factoid that has broad ramifications for the Star Trek universe. Um, there is a Betazoid character, who is on board the ship that Commander Georgiou serves aboard. Um, and you find out that only very recently at that point, okay, and this would have been like 2247, something like that, did Beta, uh, Betazoid had not, had not, or Betazoid had not joined um, the Federation at this point. And they had just recently developed uh, Warp Drive, okay? Uh, this character, this Betazoid female character in it, you know, she she's one of the first ones to ever join Starfleet, one of the first Betazoids to ever do that. And you find out that the until that before, you know, Betas had joined the Federation, which they hadn't yet at this time, they didn't tell the Federation that they're telepaths. Like, no, nobody knows that. Like, this character is a telepath and she nobody knows that she is. You know, she keeps it a secret, which is I, I think that's kind of interesting to explain because, you know, Beta Z is one of those planets kind of like the Deltons where, yeah, I want to know more because they seem to be such a free loving, you know, and they're telepathic or whatever uh, and very sexual society and everything. And you don't get so much of the sexuality in it, even though Discovery clearly doesn't mind going in that direction. But it was cool to get some history about, you know, what it was like for Betazed to join the Federation. I thought that that was uh, that was that was kind of slick, you know, for that to uh, for that to be there. Um, other tidbits, you find out that that Commander Georgiou would end up serving aboard the Defiant, uh, which the Defiant at the time was the Constitution class. And the irony that, you know, the Defiant, the USS Defiant, not the one from D Space Nine, but the Constitution class Defiant from the original series, which is, you know, kind of the center point of the uh, third season episode, the Tholian Web, which is what ends up leading directly to Enterprise season four in a mirror darkly and how the Terran Empire becomes and how Empress Hoshi takes over and all this stuff, uh, which, by the way, they uh, there, there's been some commentary on this that that Empress Hoshi and Emperor Emperor Giorgio aren't exactly related, but maybe there's there's something there. Anyway, whatever. Um. By the way, I thought it was so hot when Emperor Giorgio takes over the or when she becomes captain of the Discovery. I thought that that was I don't know. I, I women with power and in command. I dig it. <laughs> Same with Empress Hoshi. I thought that or you know Empress Sato, whatever you want to call her. Uh, I, I I thought that was that was so fantastic. But of course, she takes command of the Defiant. But you know, there's that interesting synergy that the Defiant is such a major part of the Terran Empire. Uh, which, you know, Emperor Giorgio would be the head of, that Prime Giorgio would also serve aboard the Defiant. I, I just, I thought that there was, again, a lot of these nice little touches that they're putting in that that create a, a really cool continuity that, like I said, Star Wars novels just completely dropped the fucking ball on. It's really sad, and it's pathetic, uh, frankly, for Lucasfilm to be dropping the ball so hard uh, as compared to what Star Trek Discovery is doing as far as having canon connections and having the novels having a point to reading the novels and like really giving some fan service and payoff, uh, you know, which is really enjoyable. So now speaking of constitution class ships, um, you know, they do make an appearance. And in fact, the enterprise makes an appearance in this. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, they keep talking about the constitution class ships, like, Oh, these are the new ships and we got to kind of keep them quiet. So we don't want them, you know, that's why they don't get called in right away to this problem on Tarsus Ford. Uh, you know, until later they finally show up. Um, but that, you know, these are, I love the fact that discovery, be it in the novels or whatever, are really heralding the constitution class as just being these amazing fucking ships, you know, and these gorgeous ships. And like, there's a point where George sees the enterprise, uh, in this book. And she says like, Oh, that's the future. You know, how incredible is that? And I love that because I still feel a sense of awe when I see a constitution class ship. I mean, I, I really do, you know, whether it's the enterprise or, or, uh, or otherwise. So now the enterprise at this point, again, it's 10 years before season one of discovery, 
isn't commanded by Captain Pike because Captain Pike probably isn't a captain yet. In fact, it's commanded. And now maybe this is canon now, depending upon how serious we take the tie ins and we it would appear we should take it very seriously. We'll mention more about that in a second. Um, uh, it's commanded by Captain Robert April, which has long been theorized. And it's in like the Star Trek encyclopedia and everything that he even though it, there was never like really an official comment of it, uh, that he is the captain of the first captain of the Enterprise, you know, and, it, and it, when it was first, you know, commissioned and you know put out on the line. Uh, I thought that was cool. And in fact, the way that they describe Robert April, what he looks like, first off, this is nice. He's wearing a gray. They, they say, like, you know, it's non-traditional and he's just kind of an eccentric guy. And he wears often he wears a gray cardigan sweater over his uniform. And I thought that was nice because Gene Roddenberry is so well known for wearing a gray cardigan. Now, the pictures that get used, like in the Star Trek encyclopedia of Robert April, of Captain Robert April, are of Gene Roddenberry wearing an original series uniform. So it just makes sense. Like, and they described him looking like Gene Roddenberry. And even, you know, again, with the gray cardigan, I thought that that was, um, that was really, really perfect, um, you know, for, for that to, to, to put that together and to have Robert April kind of be canon now and everything. I, I, I just thought that was nice. I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, a far better thing than what, you know, JJ Abrams did in, in his, you know, Kelvin timeline. Um, I thought that that was a, that was just an awesome, awesome touch. So, again, a lot of these little things are what make the book great. It's not so much the storyline itself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, Tarsus 4 is a thing. I mean, they're expanding upon something talked about in the original series episode, which I think is a good thing to do. Uh, but, you know, overall, like, it's not that's not the most engaging thing. You're just kind of like you're waiting for, okay, when do we get to when do we get to meet Kirk? When is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, what do we get to know about Prime Lorca? Because we know now when this book comes out, you know, fans know that, well, the Lorca we know is actually a Terran. He's not, you know, he's not from the Prime Universe. Um, now, there's a point. So th the framework of this novel is based around Giorgio reading a book in just before the Battle of Binary Stars, pretty much uh, called the 4000, which is and it's like this history of what happened on Tarsus Four. And so the author is talking with Captain Giorgio at this point. She's captain of the Shenzo and. You know, she says, like, yeah, I reached out to Captain Lorca, which he had. So, you know, he was such an integral part of what happened on Tarsus Four. Um, it's a shame he wouldn't get back with me. And what's interesting about that is, like, why didn't he get why didn't Captain Lorca get back with this author about such an important moment in his life? Because at that point in twenty two fifty seven, you know, 10 years later, it's it's mirror Lorca. Right. It's not. So he wouldn't know about all this. That's why he didn't get back with her. So there's that nice connection to what happens in the show. Right. Uh, because, you know, at that point, it's Mirror Lorca then. And this is where this is where things get a little bit more interesting with this book. OK, uh, because what when I so how I experienced this book, I was listening to the uh, to the audiobook, and the book ends with Kodos, you know, becoming Anton Caridian, more or less. And, um, you know, him getting away and everything. And that's the epilogue. Like it officially says this is the epilogue. And then the music, you know, music starts playing and with the audiobook, it says this has been, you know, uh, uh, drastic measures, Star Trek discovery narrated by Robert Peacock, written by Dayton Ward, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now, so because I read some of the reviews and interviews of Dayton Ward uh, before I finished listening, quote unquote, listening, quote unquote, reading the book. And they said that, oh, at the end of the book, there's this really tantalizing things that, that happens. And I was waiting for it. And I'm like, and I even went back, like I stopped and listened to the epilogue again. I'm like, did I miss something in the epilogue? Like I, I was told that there was this really interesting thing that happens. And what I didn't notice was that there is a whole other track at the end of the audiobook. And when that played, it was like a post credit sequence. And suddenly you're hearing about this guy who is in this, you know, like a prison cell of some kind and he's talking about how everybody here is you know everybody where he is is malevolent they're violent they're human but it's it's very weird and so obviously or i i think it's obvious there's there's hints there's points at it that it's prime Lorca and he's in the mirror universe and it's him and he's in some kind of prison cell which is probably leading towards 
you know, in fact, like it, it, it's leading towards obviously Prime Lorca coming back at some point, uh, maybe in the show itself. And that's why I say the tie in novels, I think, really do have bearing because this is a pretty big thing to bring in. And and it's like I said, it's so odd because. And, and I even looked on the ebook because I, I got the ebook and I looked at it and it's they literally put it at the end of fucking everything. Like it, it's it's as close as you could get in novel form um, or in the in the novelization medium to a post credit sequence. And I don't know how how common this is going to become, but I, I thought it was very odd, especially for the audiobook. It was a bit of a mistake because on a book you're going to easily see that. OK, wait, there's more pages, you know, but. In, in audiobook form, when you when the music starts playing and the audible app says the book's over more or, you know, like it brings up the screen to rate it and everything like it always does. Uh, that's very confusing. And then suddenly there's more. I mean, it was cool, like in one sense, but I don't think people are used to that Un- unless, you know, maybe I don't read a whole lot of modern books, uh, fiction books. And this is commonplace now. If it is, I didn't know that. But uh, it, it was a little jarring. I thought it was fine and cool, but it is a little jarring. But yeah, Prime Lorca is alive. I mean, that's, you know, that's the bottom line uh, that that comes out of this book. Uh, and that's that's a pretty big cliffhanger, you know, to end just some simple novelization on. Um, but whatever. Anyway, I thought the book was fine. All, all those little things that I described were far more interesting than the actual like story that that more or less rolls out, or at least how the story progresses. Um, you know, what happened on Tarsus four and stuff like that. I mean, those are interesting tidbits to know about, but for an entire fucking book, I mean, it could have been a short story and you could have gotten a lot of the, all the important stuff, you know, across it. It didn't need to be an entire novel, uh, but I mean, it's not bad. It's just not great. Just like desperate hours. A lot of the story wasn't, ex- you know, the story was kind of, kind of ho-hum, um, it was more about the exploration of the timeline of discovery and of like, you know, the early enterprise and things like this, all of which uh, drastic measures does as well. But yeah, prime Lurk is out there. So, you know, Jason, Jason Isaacs has a job <laughs> in the future on discovery. Um, I'm curious if they're going to mention like, this is another area where after Trek, I think has failed. There have been plenty of comments and points brought up on after Trek about discovery about season one of discovery that the book desperate hours answered and the fact that they wouldn't talk about it they wouldn't even i mean like just for, on a on a marketing perspective fucking talk about the book on your show you know <laughs> like that was just so stupid um i'm curious if if after trek continues in season two and if we end up with prime lurka you know coming into the into play again if they're going to mention that well in the book drastic measures you know we got a hint we knew that this was going to happen i don't know you know i, I don't know how i think it would behoove them to do that it'd be very wise of them to do that but we'll see you know like the the books are doing the writing room for discovery and the the authors for the books and comics for discovery the, the synergy that they have is tremendous it's far better than what's happening in star wars frankly um and you know because at least okay if we got to wait on the book till after the end of the season at least there's payoff right the prime lorca scene alone is i mean that's some really serious payoff so anyway, um, now would be a good time to like review Mirror Broken because that is a Mirror Universe, you know, it's the next generation Mirror Universe story. Uh, but because we're at the hour mark, I'm going to I'm going to wait on that. We'll save it. And maybe I will end up just doing it when the trade paperback comes out um, at this point. Uh, but I mean, I will say that it's one of the best Star Trek comic series to ever to ever come out. I'll, I'll just say that much. But I, I can go into deeper uh, points on it in the future. But I loved it. I thought it was so cool. Um, I even hell, I got the pin. <laughs> QMX sells the pin for the Terran Empire for the next generation. That's how big a deal this was. Uh, and we talked about the importance of that in the last Star Trek update, in the January Star Trek update. Um, but anyway, I yeah, I, I loved the series. I thought it was so cool, and I it's it set up to do more, and I hope that they do more. Uh, so anyway, okay. So at the end of this. At the end of the Star Trek update, we've got a few minutes. We're at the hour mark, but we've got a few minutes, and I'm, I'm going to give you some teasers about the uh, erotic Star Trek audio theater that I'm going to be producing. Like I said, I already have at least Ellen and Stephanie on board uh, for this. I'm sure I can get more, uh, you know, people on board, and I'm sure there's plenty of people in the, you know, in the Patreon audience and the Sovereign Tech audience that would uh, that would love to be a part of it. And we'll see. But right now I, I am planning like what I've written of the story is a very, very tight um, uh, crew. 
Okay, so, and it's going to be, it's going to take place in the original series. Um, not, I mean, like around Discovery. Actually, so the year that I plan on was 2269, um, which would be, you know, like just past season three of the original series. Um, it will be aboard the USS Congo, 1710, not 1701 like the Enterprise. Uh, and it's going to have to do with or deal with Section 31. And one of the cool points that I want I wanted to, to put into it, and I don't and I've always wanted to do this and, and it's the perfect moment to do it. The only problem is and maybe I, I'm sure I, I have artist friends that, that could help out with this because in in audio, you can't see like the uniforms. Right. Um, but I, I'll make it a point and I'll, I'll find a way to get it included into, you know, into the audio. Uh, into the audio theater uh, again this is going to be very erotic okay like i mean there's just going to be sex everywhere because we need more of that and yes we do uh, especially in star trek not that star trek is as bad off as star wars is when it comes to you know the uh, a dearth of sex uh star trek does a hell of a job including star trek discovery <laughs> Woo. um but anyway so this is uh so a couple things that that i, w- I want to address with this uh but yeah, Section 31 is going to be in it. And I want to what the the people involved with Section 31. Um, there's also well, anyway, the uniforms for Section 31, like there's going to be a point where it's it's a it's a Section 31 team that ends up taking over a Constitution class vessel, which when you uh, in this side of paradise, the original series episode, this side of paradise they make it very clear that while and in Star Trek three also, you know, where, where Scotty says a chimpanzee and two trainees could run her, uh, you know, meaning the enterprise, you know, it's like, well, okay, one person can't run an entire constitution class ship, but a few people can, it doesn't need to have, you know, the, the 200 to 400 person crew. Uh, and so, yeah, so there, there'll be, you know, kind of a caper of using a ship and it being the Congo by section 31 to do something. I'm not going to reveal who the enemy is, even though I already, I, I won't reveal that part. I already know who the, who it is, but it's far more. This isn't so much about action. This is far more about uh, a degree of exploration. Okay. Cause I, I, that's what I love about Star Trek is you get to do exploration and scientific stuff and not all, you know, bang, 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 you know, action, boom, boom. I, you know, that doesn't need to be a part of this. Uh, not so much anyway. So it's going to be exploration slash slash espionage heavy, this story. Um, and the uniforms like what, you know, after after the Section 31 team takes over the Congo, uh, they're going to change into their Section 31 uniforms, which I'm pretty much just going to make original. They're going to be original series uniforms, but they're going to be all black, you know, and they'll have like the, the gold braid for ranking and all that stuff. But they're going to be completely black. And, and I think. I've always wanted to like in, in, in my in my wildest dreams, I've always imagined, you know, the short skirt, the mini skirt Starfleet uniform for the ladies like that in black. I mean, it's a little black dress, you know, in the boots. Oh, please. <laughs> I think that's so hot. So that mental image, I finally get to put in audio form. Uh, and I think I'm going to have them have like the black cutoff gloves, kind of like the Terran Empire had in Discovery. I thought that, that was a nice touch. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the flavor. I'm going to make it sexy, obviously. Um, and I'll give you one of the things that I wanted to, or one of the, you know, because like I've been explaining in this entire Star Trek update, I love it when stories you know, kind of explain things that are a part of the larger universe. And one of the things that I want to explore is the origin of the Vulcan love slave hollow suite series that you keep hearing about in D space nine. And then beyond that, even um, because there's like three or four of them, right? It's, it's such a po- It's, it's one of the most popular hollow novels or hollow suite uh, series that like a corks bar and everything. Um, I want so there's going to be a Vulcan character, at least one in this, and I want to explore maybe where that idea came from and that maybe like it was something that was based on on a kind of a true story. So that's going to be a part of this. And and I just anyway, I'd love to like share half the script with you (laughs) because I think it's so fucking hot, but but it's it's going to be a lot of fun. But those are some of the, just, just some of the, like the fun elements that I want to put into it um, that I think are really cool. And I'm, I'm really glad that actually Star Trek discovery ended or the season finale had a threesome in it, like a literal threesome. Um, 
because then, you know, I can say, hey, you know, Star Trek being sexy is not crazy right now, you know, and, and I can play off that. So and Discovery, you know, I mean, it, it's it, as, as far as like it being talked about, it's hot right now. So, you know, I got to finish up the holiday special first and obviously I'll do that. But uh, the Star Trek erotic audio theater that I will that that I'm putting together is actually coming together very, very quickly. Uh, and I'm really, really happy about that. So anyway, 2018 is going to be a very fun year for sovereign tech overall, because you know, this erotic audio theater is uh, a part of, you know, sovereign tech's DNA really. And star Trek has always been a major part of, of sovereign tech. I mean, it, it you know, they used to be that I would quote it once every episode. And sometimes I still try to do that. Uh, so th- yeah, anyway, so this is, this is going to be cool. Everybody's excited about it. Everybody involved is very excited. Uh, and, and I, I can't wait to get it out there. And I think it's going to be just, just wildly sexy. So, okay, that's it. There's your, uh, Star Trek update for, uh, February, 2018. Um, I don't know if we're going to do a Star Trek update for March, 2018. We might, there will be a Star Trek themed, patreon episode of some kind but it might not be a star trek update there might not be a star star trek update until much later into 2018 um or maybe even until season two of um you know when season two of discovery comes out hopefully we get longer seasons with this too i mean really and 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 they pick stuff up um but at some point i will give a review of my uh of the Star Trek Discovery uh, ship from a model from Eagle Moss. Uh, I'll talk about that. And I didn't get to talk about my uh, Star Trek phase two constitution class. Uh, I'll save it for then as well. So maybe you'll get another update in between somewhere here. Maybe when the other Star Trek Discovery novel comes out, which I think it's coming out in June, which it's a very, it's supposedly a lot about uh, Saru, which Saru is really like the shining character in, in throughout this entire first season. I, I mean, I, I, I think the guys, you know, that's just a brilliant character that I'm glad they allowed to organically grow uh, because you, you're way more attached to Saru than I think even Michael Burnham or any other character uh, in the show. Um, though my favorite Star Trek, all right, I'll leave you with this. My favorite Star Trek Discovery character so far totally it's emperor Giorgio. she is awesome she is so hot and she's so badass <laughs> i love emperor Giorgio. that I, and i'm glad she's still alive and that we get to you know most likely explore a lot more stories with her in the future really excited about that so star trek's future is looking phenomenal looking bright uh and we got great stuff coming up this year star trek related of course we'll have that full erotic audio theater can't wait to put that together I, i'm i'm just i'm ecstatic about doing this um and it'll be a separate thing. It won't be like a Sovereign Tech Prime episode. So I won't be like constrained to make it two hours long. It doesn't, you know, it could just be an hour and maybe that's all it needs to be. Maybe it'll end up being two hours by the time I'm done. But yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. So there it is, folks. Um, other content coming out all throughout February 2018. I will see you woo, on the other side. <laughs>